All right, well, we're ready to get started. Uh, glad to see you guys here today. And what we're going to talk about in this seminar for the next couple of days is atheism and where it comes from, where it arose from. We'll see straight from prophecy uh, how that arose and why it's significant today. And then we're going to look at, in our second class, some proofs of why the Bible can be trusted. We're going to look at a number of different things. And, you know, atheism is a movement that's on the rise today. And uh, it's become quite prevalent, especially in American society. And uh, we need to know how to answer that. And so that's what we're going to do through our seminar. So, uh, and then we're going to look at our third seminar, the top arguments of atheism, how to answer them, how to approach the atheistic mind and, uh, and, and, and seeking to win them over for Christ. And so as we begin this morning, uh, this is going to be, this one is going to be a little bit more philosophical and uh, then we'll get into some more practical things as we go. So let's just begin with a word of prayer and then we'll dive right in. Father in heaven, we thank you so much this morning that we can learn from your word how to deal with this modern mindset that has, is beginning to just take over our society. And as we look at this, Lord, where it comes from, may you give us wisdom and knowing how to answer it, how to deal with it. And we, so we ask for your blessing now in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Our, our, our seminar title, our, our theme is a reason, or the reason rather, for our faith and answer for the skeptic. And seminar one deals with the rise of atheism and prophecy. Where did it come from? And the first question I want to ask is, why does it matter? Why does it matter about atheism? Why does it matter where it came from? Why does it matter to us today? I mean, we're Bible-believing Christians. You know, I was going door-to-door once, and I was talking to this man about atheism and whatnot, and he said, well, I'm a Christian. He said, it doesn't really matter about atheism. He said, because I know already where I'm going when I die. He says, I know what the Bible says, and I believe that, so why would I need to know about atheism? Well, very simple is because there are a sea of people around us that do not believe in God, that do not believe in the Bible, that do not believe that there is a reason that we should live for anything except for ourselves. And so the Bible tells us very specifically, we're going to look at this in just a minute, that we should always have a reason for the hope that is in us. Amen? There was a young man named Josh who came to my office uh, about two classes ago when I was teaching at AFCO and he was about three quarters of the way through the AFCO session. He came into my class or my office rather. He sat down in front of me and he said, I don't, I really don't know why I'm here. He says, I don't even believe in the Bible anymore. I don't believe that God exists. He says, and I don't want anything to do with this concept of Christianity. And I was kind of shocked because here was this guy at AFCO and he's coming into my office basically telling me that he's an atheist, he doesn't believe in God, and he doesn't want anything to do with him even if he did exist. And so I started talking with him and, 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 and asking him some questions about why he believed the way they believe and he was telling me all this all these crazy reasons why. He said there is no evidence that God exists. There is no evidence why I should believe. And so I shared with him a number of things that I'm going to share in this seminar. And at the end of our time together, he says, you know what? I, I've never known this stuff my entire life. He says, I grew up in church. I grew up around 
people that believed in the Bible. He said, but I always thought that it was just this blind faith. He said, but now I have evidence that God exists and evidence that the Bible can be trusted. Amen? And so 1 Peter 3, 15, I want to share with you this text, and you probably know it pretty well already. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 15. 1 Peter 3, verse 15. And Peter is very, very candid about this. He says, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready. How often? How would it say? He says, always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. And so Peter tells us specifically that we should always be ready to give an answer. So if someone walked up to you and said, why do you believe in the seventh-day Sabbath? Would you be able to answer that question? Pretty easily, right? We whip out our Bibles and we go to, you know, Exodus chapter 20, 8 through 11, Mark 2, 27, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath, Revelation 1, 10, uh, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. <clears throat> we know how to answer that, right? We know how the, to, to answer how the Sabbath was changed. But what if someone came to you and they said, I don't believe in God, I don't believe in the Bible, can you give me proof? So would you be able at that point to reach for your Bible and say, this is why I believe what I believe, yes or no? It might be a challenge to do that, right? Because they say already, I don't believe in that book, don't tell me anything about it, how would you reach out to that person? That's what we want to talk about in our lecture series. Always be ready. So let's just examine atheism for a minute. The word atheism comes from the Greek word a meaning not or no, kind of like against, and then theos, atheism, meaning God. So a meaning no or against, and theos meaning God. That's where the word atheism comes from. Atheism claims several things. Number one, the natural matter of the universe is all that exists. What, what exists? The natural matter of the universe. In other words, um, the universe operates only by natural laws, like the law of gravity, the law of physics, etc. And any event that seems to happen supernaturally is really some sort of natural occurrence. In other words, everything in the universe is here, and it happens by natural means. Therefore, there is nothing what? Supernatural, right? And any event, whether it be some type of miracle or, you know, some type of, uh, of healing or, or any type of supernatural experience is just something natural that's happening, but it cannot be, we haven't figured out what it is yet. We haven't figured out how to explain it, right? And so that's what atheism says. The reality of evil, the purposelessness of life, the randomness of the universe, and evolution all argue in favor or against. Against the existence of who? Of God. That's what atheism basically claims. It also claims that the Bible is a book of human invention and not really the divine word of God. I mean, obviously, if God doesn't exist, if what we see around us is all there is, just natural laws, the natural universe, then obviously the Bible could not be from God because God doesn't exist, right? It's a book of human invention. And Jesus, if he existed, uh, performed no miracles, did not rise from the dead, and was not who? He was not God. He was just no more than a man, right? And we're going to prove that to be false in this seminar as we progress 
There's an inter interesting statement from the Humanist Manifesto II that says, No deity will save us. We must save who? Ourselves. Isn't that a profound statement? No deity will save us. We must save ourselves. But the reality is, is that human beings have been trying to save themselves for centuries. In fact, since they have existed, since we have written record of history, Man after man has risen up trying to save humanity, and has he been able to do it, yes or no? We are still in a worse state now than we were years ago, right? And so we've attempted to save ourselves through various forms of religion, through various forms of philosophy, through various forms of coercion throughout history, and yet the fact remains that we are a people in need of salvation, right? And I don't mean just the sense of of spiritual salvation, but I'm talking about our planet is in big time trouble, is it not? We are headed down a course that's very, very scary road. We are in trouble on every hand, economically, uh, as far as feeding the world, etc., etc. Our world's in big trouble. We need some type of salvation, right? And yet man has been not been able to do it. So what about agnosticism? Let's look at that for just a minute. Agnosticism is very, very similar to atheism. Um, uh, agnosticism says maybe God exists, maybe God doesn't exist, but even if he does exist, it doesn't really matter, right? It doesn't really matter. Who cares? Because God, uh, it is impossible rather to prove either one. They say if he exists, he does. If he doesn't, he doesn't. And, but it really doesn't affect me that much. Since you cannot prove it, the best decision is to remain how? Skeptical, right? So uh, I cannot prove it, so therefore I'm just going to remain skeptical about the whole thing. I'm not going to worry about it because even if God exists, he is not personal and he does not care about me personally. However, while the agnostic claims that no one can really know anything for sure about God, this in itself is an assertive, definitive statement regarding what one knows about God, thus counterfeiting, or counteracting rather, contradicting rather, their own line of thinking. In other words, to say that uh, I can't really know anything for sure about God means that you would have to know everything, right? Uh, everything in the universe to know that, and nobody can really know that for sure. So even their own line of thinking goes against the, the main point that they're saying. Both claim that human reason and scientific empiricism are the only sensible explanations for why things exist. In other words, things that can be measured, right? I can take a certain amount of water and I can put it in a cup, I can boil it, and something happens, right? I can take certain chemicals and mix them together and put them in the laboratory and something will happen. Probably an explosion for most of us, right? But something will happen, okay? I can measure things, I can weigh things, I can, I can do all these different types of scientific gathering of data and measure everything that happens on this earth, right? So if, therefore, if something cannot be measured, it must not what? Exist. And so that's how they view this about God, is that God does not exist because he cannot be measured, he cannot be counted, he cannot be weighed, right? But I want you to think about this. They say this, because no element of his existence can be measured or tested, he cannot exist. But I want you to think about it this way. If the origin of life, and the, or I'm sorry, they say this also. If the origin of life and the universe can be explained scientifically, then God becomes what? 
unnecessary. In other words, the goal of science, the goal of this scientific thought, the scientific method, is to explain how everything works. And if they can do that, or if they think they can, uh, then they can come up down to the conclusion that God is no longer needed in the equation because we are the source of what? Of knowledge. We are the source of wisdom and we can explain everything. Therefore, we don't need God, right? That's the goal. I mean, it's very, very evident in this whole line of thinking. But here's another way of thinking about it. To say this, to say that God cannot be measured, etc., etc., is basically following a limited standard of human knowledge. In other words, we don't know everything, right? Are you with me? Do we even know everything about our planet? Do we even know everything about ourselves? We don't even know everything about ourselves, do we? And so we have this standard, the, the scientific method and these various things that we do scientifically, we, but essentially we have this human standard that we measure everything by, but who's to say that that human standard is really the ultimate standard by which everything should be measured? Are you with me? Because even that, that very standard can stand to be flawed. Does that make sense? And so if we measure God according to the standard, who's to say that God is not much higher than that standard itself? It doesn't take into account that everything cannot be measured this way. Let me give an illustration of this. Do you suppose that by this picture, this is not my wife, by the way, it's only a picture of her. Uh, do you suppose that I love my wife, yes or no? All right. Can you measure the love for my wife? Yes or no? I mean, can you like put it in a cup and weigh it? I mean, if you did, it'd be so big. You know what I mean? I'm just kidding. But, uh, but you cannot measure the love that you have for someone. But does that love exist? Can, you measure the lo- can they measure the love you have for your fiancé? They can, right? But does it exist? You know it exists, right? Does that make sense? But according to this scientific standard, according to this way of thinking, because the love of my, for my wife cannot be measured, then it must not really exist. But there are some things that cannot be measured scientifically. Would you agree with that statement? And so to say that God doesn't exist because he can't be measured is like saying that my love for my wife doesn't exist because it cannot be weighed or measured in a laboratory, which we know is silly, right? But yet this is the standard by which they try to say that God does does or does not exist. And there's a problem with that because that very system, that very way of thinking is absolutely flawed. Are you with me? All right. The type of God that the Bible describes may not exist in this type of standard. He cannot be weighed in ounces. He cannot be weighed in grams or gowns because the Bible says he is infinite. Amen. He is infinite and he rises above that. I want you to notice a statement from C.S. Lewis. He makes this amazing, he asks three questions. He says, supposing science ever became so complete that it knew every single thing in the whole universe, could it also answer the following questions? In other words, suppose the ultimate objective, the ultimate goal of science came true in that they could explain how everything, that how everything happens, etc. Could they answer these three questions? Why is there a universe? 
They may be able to explain how everything works, but could they explain why there is a universe? Absolutely not. They couldn't explain that. Secondly, why does it go on as it does? There is no explanation for that. You may explain how things work, but why does it flow in perfect order? Why does everything flow the way that it should almost at all times? There is no explanation for that. And thirdly, does it have any meaning? And I like this one the best. Does the universe have meaning? And when you look at the universe on a grand scale, you ask the question, does it have meaning? All the stars, all the planets, all the solar system and galaxies, do they have meaning? But then that, that funnels down to us personally, right? What about this planet? What's the purpose behind it? What about my life? Does my life have meaning? Does my life have purpose? Four questions that every person wants to know the answer to. Number one, where did I come from, right? Secondly, what is my purpose while I'm here? What is my purpose in this life? Is it to live for myself? Is it to live based upon what I desire? Thirdly, how should I live while I'm here? With built in with each and every one of us is this standard of morality, right? The Bible says that God has given every man a measure of faith, right? And so built in us, now for some people it's more eroded than others, based upon genetics and our, our history, etc. But God is still built in this morality into every human being. Where did that come from? If it didn't come from God, where did it come from? Because evolution says that my animal instincts are what should control me, right? But yet everybody knows the difference between right and wrong. And it, goes, it builds greater than society. We'll look at that more in a minute. Thirdly, um, or I'm sorry, and fourthly, where do I go when I, when I leave this place? So where did I come from? What's my purpose while I'm here? How should I live on this earth while I'm here? And fourthly, what happens to me when I exit this world? Those are four questions that science cannot explain. They cannot answer. They cannot fabricate in a laboratory. And science cannot explain these things. If we abandon, if we abandon the idea of God, if we fully embrace only science, as the answer to life, as the answer to life's problems, then we begin to go down a path that is very, very scary. There's, there's a picture. Of, how many of you have ever traveled across Highway 50? Anybody at all? Highway 50 across America. It's called the loneliest road in America. And let me tell you, it is lonely. My wife and I, when we moved to California, we drove out here. And uh, we drove across this road, and man, it seemed like you can drive for hours and hours and hours. I mean, you could stop your car, get out and lay down in the middle of the road and take a nap, and you, wouldn't, you would have no fear of anybody hitting you because you don't see cars for hours on end. Sometimes you go for hours without seeing a house, without seeing a gas station or anything. It is a scary, scary place. And we are on a path if we abandon the concept of God and society, we are on a path that others have trod before us that's very, very dangerous. Um, you remember what happened with France. We're going to talk about France today in our seminar. You remember what happened with France and the French Revolution? A terrible, terrible time in the history of humanity when they abandoned the concept of God. What about Adolf Hitler? You know, Adolf Hitler said about God, he said, we just, want to, we just want God to basically leave us alone. Uh, we don't want anything to do with him. 
And we don't want him trying to bother us. He said, basically, I'm going to conquer the world and I'm going to do it without God's help. Did you know that Adolf Hitler simply embraced, when he was murdering the Jews, when there was the genocide of the Jewish people, he was simply carrying out what he read from Charles, Charles Darwin's book, The Origin of the Species, simply executing that plan that the survival of the strongest should survive. Uh, and then you have communism in, in even more modern times. All these paths have gone down the road of rejecting God and it's ultimately ended in disaster every single time. And so we're going to look at that. Where did this concept of modern atheism come from? You know, it is really not that old of an idea. It's not that old of a philosophy at all. In the late 1700s and early 1800s, there is what is known as the Age of Enlightenment. Now, how many of you have heard of this before? You've heard of the Age of Enlightenment, the Age of Reason, as it's also referred to. And it sprung out of the French Revolution. But in, the, uh, in 1770, Paul Baron de Holbach was the first open atheist in France. He began writing publications that there was no God, that God did not exist, and here were all the reasons why. Okay? And uh, in 1792 to 1794 was what was known as the cult of reason. Churches that were once places of worship to God were now turned into temples of reason where they debated about why God didn't exist, why the Bible was false and book of fairy tales, etc. And many churches were closed and the Catholic Mass was forbidden. This was all happening in the late 1700s, early 1800s. But the question is, why? Why was it happening? Um, we're going to look at that. I want you to notice this statement from Karl Marx about this age of reason, about religion during this time period. He says, religious suffering is at one and the same time the expression of real suffering and a protest against real suffering. Religion is the sigh of the oppressed creature, the heart of a heartless world, and the soul of the soulless conditions. It is the opium of the people. In other words, what he was saying is, it is a crutch for people who cannot face the realities of reality, right? That's essentially what he was saying. This, there was a transition that took place in the late 1700s, early 1800s. Because previous to this, everybody had faith. Everybody believed in God. Everybody, um, you know, had, they didn't have Bibles during the Dark Ages. But people believed in God. But all of a sudden, there's this transition. Where did that come from? Very, very powerful. All right. Uh, you remember what happened in 1798? Do you remember? Right. There was the full, ultimate fulfillment, this great fulfillment of prophecy, right? You know, the age of reason, the age of enlightenment comes from these late, the late 1700s. And when men began to take this turn, where men of faith began to reject the Bible, they began to reject God, they began to reject any type of notion of faith, and they began to embrace this human philosophy. And that was happening right at the same time when God was fulfilling, ultimately, Bible prophecy upon the earth. Isn't that something? So in 1798, we know that an amazing prophecy was fulfilled, the 1260 years, and God was actually doing something on the earth during the very time that men began to reject the Bible and embrace human philosophy. 
Now it's, it's going to get even more powerful than this. Let me just do a real brief uh, summary for you, a real brief um, uh, just foundation rather. Daniel 7.3, the Bible tells us, and four great beasts came up from the sea, each different from the other. We know these texts and we know them well, so I'm just going to move, them, move through them real quickly. We know these four kingdoms were Babylon, Greece, Medo-Persia, and who? Rome, right? We know this. We're Seventh-day Adventists. We know it well. And then the Bible says that there was the fourth beast and he had ten horns upon his head. And what did those kingdoms represent? Or I'm sorry, those horns. Ten nations, right? I said it already. I gave the answer. The ten nations of Rome that came out of Rome when Rome collapsed, correct? Now, he says, I was considering the horns. There was another little horn, uh, a little one coming up among them, before whom three of the first were plucked out by the roots. And we know that who is this power? The Roman church, right? He says, in this horn were the eyes like the eyes of a man and a mouth speaking pompous words. And we know beyond the shadow of a doubt that this is speaking about the Roman Catholic church during the time period of the Dark Ages from 538 to 1798. And in 1798, the Pope was arrested. He was taken prisoner, right? And taken captive and arrested. And then the power of the Roman church was broken. Now, what's amazing about this prophecy is that it was written uh, hundreds and hundreds of years before it ever even happened. It was written by Daniel. It was written by John. And it describes to the letter exactly how history was played out. And indeed, it was played out just like the Bible said it would be, right? And so here's what happened. And it says, he cast truth to the ground. He did all of this and what? Prospered. So we know that history. Now, these were, there were many false teachings that were introduced by the Roman Catholic Church into society and embraced by people, etc., that I'm just going to run through them very rapidly. Salvation by grace and works, penitence, you know, buying the indulgences rather than receiving grace as a gift, confession of sins to priests, image worship and praying to dead saints, the state of man and death, uh, purgatory and heaven, etc., the false immortality of the soul, eternally burning hell, Christ coming as a secret, the Ten Commandments are important, and then Sunday worship. Of course, we know this as Adventists, that all these false teachings were brought into the church after the time of Christ, after the time of the apostles, and it was taught for more than a thousand years, right? So it had become ingrained. Now, I want you to notice what happens after this. So during the time period of the Dark Ages, God's truth upon the earth was what, everyone? It was lost, right? What was it? It was lost, okay, for the most part. And it was, the truth of God's word was very, very dim at the end of, the, of that dark ages. The French Revolution and the rejection of God was a sure result of this taking place on the earth. In other words, notice this, the truth of God's word was lost during that time. And God, when God's truth is lost, does his character also get misrepresented? It gets misrepresented, doesn't it? And so when God's truth is lost, man can no longer represent God rightly on the earth. When God is misrepresented, we receive a wrong concept of his character, right? And when men receive a wrong or twisted concept of his character, what happens? They reject God. And have you ever met somebody that said, you know, I could never believe in God. And why is that? 
Because I just can't see how God would burn people eternity forever and ever. Right? Burn people throughout all eternity. Have you ever met someone like that? And of course we realize that God is not like that, right? That God is just, but He's also merciful, right? And that He puts an end ultimately to sin and suffering. And so God, when God's character is misrepresented, when it's twisted, it ultimately leads people to reject God. Now, now watch this. During the Dark Ages, men had been so, God, God rather, had been so misrepresented by the church upon the earth that ultimately, in the late 1700s, right when God was beginning to restore His truth and restore His character, that men, this movement rose up and men rejected God because of how He had been misrepresented during the Dark Age. And that is why the French Revolution took place. So in other words, the French Revolution was basically a backlash of what had happened through the Dark Ages. Now bear with me through this because it comes together through the end. Um, I just mentioned this. I want you to notice this. The devil was trying to distract people's minds from the truth of prophecy during the Age of Enlightenment, right when major end-time prophecy was being revealed to the world, right? And so just when God was doing something great upon the earth, the devil had this movement started that would pull people's minds away from what was actually taking place upon the earth. Are you with me? Are you with me? Now notice this. There are a couple of statements from the Great Controversy. She, she here is speaking about the French Revolution. She said, Great Controversy, page 281 and 282, the only God they knew was the God of Rome. Her teaching was only their only religion. They regarded her greed and cruelty as the legitimate fruit of the Bible, and they would have none of it. Have you ever met somebody that, that saw the the, the, the evil hypocrisy of Christianity that's in Christianity today. And people say, you know, if that's what Christians are like, if that's what God is like, I don't want anything to do with it, right? And they reject it. That's exactly what happened out of the French Revolution, uh, through the French Revolution. She says, Rome had misrepresented the character of God and perverted his requirements, and now man rejected both the Bible and its author. She had required a blind faith of her dogmas under the pretended sanction of the scriptures. Rome had grown, ground down the people under her iron heel, and now the masses degraded and brutalized in their recoil from her tyranny. What did they do? It says, she says they cast off how much? All restraint. In other words, they said, we want nothing to do with this false religion, right? Enraged at the glittering cheat to which they had so long paid homage, they rejected truth and falsehood together and mistaking license for liberty, the slaves of vice exalted in their imagined freedom. It was popery that had begun the work which atheism was completing. The policy of Rome had wrought out those conditions, social, political, and religious, that were hurrying France where? To her ruin. A couple more here. The suppression of the scriptures during the period of papal supremacy was foretold by the prophets, and John points to the horrible results that were to accrue, especially to France, from the domination of the man of sin. So Ellen White says clearly that the result of the Dark Ages was carried out or was played out through what? The French Revolution. In other words, the character of God was so grossly misrepresented that people ultimately rejected him in the end. Is this movement, the French Revolution and the embracing of modern atheism, 
Was it revealed in prophecy, yes or no? Absolutely. Turn with me, if you have your Bible, look with me in the book of Revelation, chapter 11. Revelation chapter 11, and we're going to see this played out perfectly from the Scripture. Revelation chapter 11, and we're going to read verses 2 through 8. Revelation 11, verse 2 through 8. Let's just start in verse 1 as well. He says, Then I was given a reed like a measuring rod, and the angel stood, saying, Rise and measure the temple of God, the altar, and those who worship there. But leave out the court which is outside the temple, and do not measure it, for it has been given to the Gentiles, and they will tread the holy city underfoot for 42 months. Is that that time period of the 1260? 42 months, 538 to 1798. And I will give power to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy 1,260 days clothed in sackcloth. These are the two olive trees and the two lampstands standing before the God of the earth. And if anyone wants to harm them, fire proceeds from their mouth and devours their enemies. And if anyone wants to harm them, he must be killed in this manner. These have power to shut heaven so that no rain falls in the days of their prophecy. And they have power over waters to turn them to blood and strike the earth with all plagues as often as they desire. Now this is a pretty powerful testimony, a pretty powerful prophecy. And we're going to break it down piece by piece. So I want you to notice, he says, I will give power to my witnesses and they will prophesy 1260 days clothed in sackcloth. What are the two witnesses? If you read the book of Zechariah, he says that um, in verse 4 it says, these are the two olive trees, and he says in Zechariah that the two olive trees are the what? The Word of God, right? We don't have time to explore that, but basically the two witnesses represent the Old and the New what? Testament, that would testify of God and His character during the time of the what? Dark Ages, because virtually... God had very, very, very few people that were standing for him during this time, right? And so God had the word of God, the two witnesses that testified of him. 538 to 1798 talks about the power of God's word upon the earth during the time of that wilderness period, the 1260 years. Now notice what happens in verse 7. It says, when they finished their testimony... The beast that ascends out of the bottomless pit will make war against them, overcome them, and kill them. Now, think about this. It says, when they finish their testimony, okay? How long did the prophecy say that they would testify? It says in verse 3, they will prophesy 1,260 what? Days. So when would they come to a close? When would they be ending their prophecy? When would that happen? around 1798, right? Now notice in verse 7, it says, when they finish their testimony, what happens? The beast that ascends out of the bottomless pit will what? Will attack them, will make war over them, and overcome them. Now let me ask you a question. Could that beast, what does a beast represent in prophecy? Are you guys alive? She's alive. What about the rest of you? It represents a nation, right? Could this beast or this nation be the Roman church, yes or no? It cannot be. Because it says, when they finish their prophecy, 
the beast that ascends out of the bottomless pit will attack them. What was happening to the papacy at the end of the 1260 years in 1798? What was it doing? It was going down, right? Revelation tells us that. Could this beast be America, yes or no? No, it, doesn't, it cannot be because it says in Revelation 13 that the second beast, which is America, we know to be America, rises up out of the what? Out of the earth, right? Not the bottomless pit. And not only that, it says it had two horns like a lamb. It was not attacking Christianity during this time. It was promoting Christianity during this time, right? And so this has to be another nation. We have to look for its fulfillment in history. Was there a nation at this time that cast away the word of God, that cast away the concept of God, and, <clears throat> and, and got rid of the Bible? Indeed, of course, there was. It was France. So sometime around 1798, it would arise and attack the Bible. In 1793, there was the French Assembly which met together and they actually passed a law that abolished Christianity as the national religion and cast aside the Word of God. <clears throat> this had never happened before on an official national level, but yet it did in 1793. Is that close to the time when these, these two witnesses were closing their testimony, yes or no? Absolutely. Notice what happens here. This is, comes from Blackwood's Magazine, November 1870. This is powerful what he says here. France is the only entity in the modern history of the world that as a nation shifted her hand in open rebellion against the author of the universe. Plenty of blasphemers, plenty of infidels there have been and still continue to be in England, Germany, Spain, and elsewhere. But France stands apart in the world's history as the single state which by the decree of her legislative assembly pronounced that there was what? No God. France did this in 1793. And of which the entire population of the capital and a vast majority elsewhere, women as well as men, danced and sang with joy and accepting the announcement. Isn't that sad? But that's exactly what happened. That was just barely over 200 years ago that this happened in France. They rejected God. They rejected Bible on a national level. It was voted by the state. Ellen White confirms this in Great Controversy. She says the nation, or speaking of France, was left to reap the results of the course which she had chosen. The restraint of God's spirit was removed from a people that had despised the gift of his grace. Evil was permitted to come to maturity and all the world saw the fruit of the willful rejection of the light. Did you know that this is going to be repeated by America in the last days? In a little bit different way, but, and we'll see how that's going to work here in a few minutes. Now notice what happens in Revelation 11:8, talking about the two witnesses or God's word. It says, their bodies will lie in the street of the great city, which spiritually is called Sodom and what? Egypt. Now keep that in mind, where also our Lord was crucified. So the Bible is telling us that God's word was destroyed. It was attacked by this power, France. It was figuratively speaking laid in the streets for everybody to see. Bibles were burned, churches were closed down, etc. And it also refers to France as spiritually called Sodom and Egypt. There is meaning to that, which we will see here in just a minute. Pharaoh of Egypt rejected God when he said what? What does he say? Let's read it together. Who is who? Jehovah, that I should listen to him and let Israel go. I don't know Jehovah 
and I will not let Israel what? Go. Was Pharaoh an atheist? Some people say, well, Pharaoh was atheist. Well, he was atheist in the sense that he did not believe in the God of the Bible. But Pharaoh was not an atheist in, in the literal sense because he was a worshiper of many what? Many pagan gods, right? The Egyptians had lots and lots of gods. In fact, it was conceived that Pharaoh himself was also who? God, right? The Pharaohs have the authority of God. And so think about this in the terms of atheism. There is not really, ultimately, there is no atheist. There is no atheist because ultimately, even if we reject all concept of God out there, we often view ourselves as what? As a God, and we will even worship ourselves as God. And I'll, I'll talk more about that more later. Um, she says, of all the nations presented in Bible history, Egypt most boldly denied the existence of the living God and resisted his commands. No monarch ever ventured upon more open and high-handed rebellion against the authority of heaven than did the king of Egypt. She says, this is atheism in the sense of rejecting the God of the Bible. And the nation represented by Egypt would give voice to a similar denial in the claims of the living God and would manifest a like spirit of unbelief and defiance. This prophecy has received a most exact and striking fulfillment in the history of who? Of France. In other words, she says, what happened in Egypt with Pharaoh was repeated again by who? France. Now this is where it gets pretty exciting. Then those from the peoples, it says in verse, uh, let's flip back there to Revelation 11. I only put part of it on the screen there. Revelation 11 Verse 9 and 10, it says, Then those from the peoples, tribes, tongues, and nations will see their dead bodies three and a half days and not allow their bodies to be put in the graves. And all who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them, make merry, send gifts to one another, because these two prophets tormented those who dwell upon the earth. So notice what it says. How long would the dead bodies lay in the street? Three and a half what? Days, right? Now what does a day represent in prophecy? A literal what? Year, right? A literal year. And so it says for three and a half day, prophetic days, or three and a half years, this would go on. I want you to notice something striking. Something striking. Every possible inclination of God within this time period in France was done away with. Bibles were gathered and burned. The worship of God prohibited Marriage unions were dissolved. Why? Because where was the origination of marriage found? Not with the state, but with where? With God in the Garden of Eden, right? So they got rid of all the marriages, and that's why it was called spiritual Sodom, because everybody did what was right in his own eyes. If you want my wife, take her, but give me your wife for the night, and we'll swap back tomorrow. And everybody did whatever he wanted to do, and that meant sexually, perversions were taking place and it was complete wickedness they did away with the seven day weekly cycle and replace it with a 10 day why because the only place you can find the seven day weekly cycle is in the bible and when they did this you know what happened all their animals they started working them 10 days a week in this new week and all their animals started dying from exhaustion you know why because the bible says work six days and what Rest on the seventh day, right? And, and France was not following that command, and they were reaping absolute havoc. 
And this is the, was the state of France for a number of years. This man, Sir Archibald Allison, uh, wrote the history of Europe. This is what he says. He said this during that time period. God, if you exist, avenge your injured name. I bid you defiance. You remain silent. You dare not launch your thunders. Who after this will believe in your existence? Speaking of the French Revolution, he said, After we wreak havoc and we do what we please and we cast off all restraint of you, God, what will you do about it? Essentially is what he was saying. Boldly attacking the, the, uh, the character of God and the, and the very existence of God. That is what he said. So I want you to notice, remember, she compared the revelation called the French Revolution the uh, spiritually Sodom and Egypt. We talked about Sodom. Now let's talk about Egypt. Notice what happens. Notice the parallel here. As I was studying this, I was thinking, what's the connection with Egypt? And I started looking at the, at the comparisons, and what I found was absolutely amazing. Notice this. It says, the truth, uh, the truth was lost while in captivity in Egypt. Remember, when the children of Israel went down, they were there for 400 years, and eventually they lost God's truth, did they not? And they began to do all the things, you know, the song that says, dance like an Egyptian. They were dancing like Egyptians, right? So his truth was lost while they're in captivity. God was ultimately misrepresented. They lost the image of his character, his love for them and his purpose for their lives. And ultimately, they rejected God and embraced the Egyptian philosophy. You remember when they came out of Egypt, what did they say? They said, man, why, is, why have you brought us out here to die in the wilderness? Let us go back where? To Egypt, right? They, were worship, they built the golden calf. They were worshiping the Egyptian gods. They did everything like the Egyptians. Similarly, the French Revolution and modern atheism has a direct tie to this. The truth was lost during what time period? The Dark Ages. God was misrepresented through the Roman Catholic Church. We saw that from Great Controversy. We see it from history in the Bible. There was a wrong concept of God's character displayed to the people of the earth. And ultimately, it led to the rejection of God and the acceptance of human reason. Human philosophy, the age of enlightenment, right? Men became enlightened, as they call it, about religion, which is also called spiritual Egypt. Now notice what happens here. After the three and a half days, the breath of life from God entered them, and they stood on their feet, and great fear fell upon those who saw them. Now, friends, this is absolutely amazing. I believe, if I recall, the date for uh, abolishing the Bible was like November something, 1793. Three and a half years later, exactly to the letter, which would have been, what year? I'm trying to remember. Um, 1990, I'm sorry, 1797, I would have believed, but the spring, I think it was April 24th, what happened was the law that had been passed to abolish the Bible and Christianity and God was reversed in France. Exactly when prophecy said it would. Three and a half days later, three and a half years later, it was passed. A day equals a year in Bible prophecy, right? It was reversed and the Bible was restored and allowed to be embraced once again by the people. Why did that happen? 
Notice this great controversy, 287. Men recognize the necessity of faith in God and in His Word as the foundation of virtue and morality. What happened in France? The Bible was rejected, it was taken away, and basically, basically all hell broke loose. Wickedness, corruption, and it got so bad, it, the society became so abased. You see, here's the thing. The, the atheist argument is that society has the ability to set the rules of morality for people to abide by. Have you heard that before? You know, people say, you, you, you talk about the fact that most of our moral laws today come from the Bible, and people say, no, 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 they come from society. But look what happened when society did away with God's word, did away with all concept of religion. It completely collapsed, and it was prophesied by God hundreds of years in advance. But just after that happened, they reversed it. They had to because society was falling apart at the seams. And that is ultimately what's going to happen to America in the last days. After the terrible effects of the revolution, the great awakening of the 1800s began to take place. Are you familiar with this? So notice what happens. It says, the breath of God entered them. They stood on their feet and great fear fell upon those who saw them. Right after that, this great awakening began to take place in the early 1800s. And the British Soci Bible Society was founded in 1804, the American Bible Society in 1816, and foreign missions began to launch more rapidly than they ever had been before. People were sent all across the globe preaching the gospel. This was the uh, age of many of the great missionaries going to Africa and various places. And so this fulfillment of prophecy took place with that great awakening. Can you see how prophecy just, just laid it out for us? I mean, this book was written in 90 AD, and yet it's predicting event by event that happened 1,700 years later. I mean, friends, that's amazing. That's spine-chilling. And it doesn't just give these broad prophecies. It gives specific detailed prophecies. Three and a half years, it would be abolished. And then after that time period, it would be restored. Friends, the, there is nothing like studying Bible prophecy. Amen? So, God would begin to restore the truth that was lost during the Dark Ages, even before 1798, and on through the Great Awakening, the Reformation, the Great Awakening. Now, notice what happens. Watch this. This is, this is the climax here. Why would this happen? You know, in the 1800s, people began to study their Bibles, right? Methodists, Baptists, um, all these different denominations, they came together and they began to study God's Word, right? And in the middle of the 1800s, we know, of course, that the Seventh-day Advent movement arose from Bible prophecy through the preaching of William Miller about the 2300-day prophecy, right? And eventually led to the Seventh-day Adventist Church. Now, I want you to think about this, friends. This was the peak of the Great Awakening. This was the peak of the Protestant Reformation. And the truths that had been lost... Now watch this, the truths that had been lost during the Dark Ages by Rome that ultimately led God, people to reject God and the Bible, all of these truths that were misrepresented would be restored through the Advent movement, right? And so watch this, the truths were lost during the Dark Ages, men rejected God and His Word through the Age of Enlightenment, but then God answered, they said, and here's why, because look at the church. Here's all the reasons why we reject. But then God turned right around 
and answered that argument through the Seventh-day Adventist movement. Watch this. All the truths that were restored, the everlasting gospel, all these things that Rome annihilated, God's church in the last days restored. The everlasting gospel, faith in Christ, fearing God and keeping His commandments, worshiping Him as the Creator, giving glory to Him, even by our physical lives, announcing the hour of His judgment, the truth about man's state and death, and the last day deceptions about spiritualism, the truth about God's love and hellfire, all these things that the church had taken away, God restored through the Advent movement. Uh, there, uh, the truth of the second coming, the truth about baptism, the truth about the mark of the beast, the truth about the Antichrist, and all these things. So in other words, God's answer to atheism, God's answer to the age of enlightenment was the Advent movement. Because everything, all the reasons why men rejected God from Catholicism, God restored those things and answered those things through the Advent movement. Friends, that's powerful. So in reality, while the rest of the world is fumbling and bumbling, the rest of the Christian world, to answer the argument of atheism, in reality, God has the answer, we have the answer, right here in our church. It's a restoration of the character of God. Remember, we saw that, that spiritual Egypt was in connection with the French Revolution. And notice here what happens. Uh, this is the, basically the same thing. So there was the rejection of God through the age of enlightenment. Now notice what happens as the children of Israel leave Mount Sinai. Or, I'm sorry, they leave Egypt, right? They come to Mount Sinai and God restores his truth, right? How does he do that? Through the Ten Commandments, right? He gives the Ten Commandments. He gives a revelation of his character through the commandments at Mount Sinai. But notice what happens here. When God restores his truth on the, on the earth through Mount Sinai, through the Ten Commandments, Satan came right along and what did he do? He twisted that truth, right? And caused the children of Israel to apostatize. And how did they apostatize? What did they build? They built the golden calf, right? They built the golden calf and they started worshiping it. But then something happened. After the worshiping of that golden calf, Notice what happens. God draws a line, right? And he said, Moses said, all who are for God come where? Over here and all those who are against stay over there. And who came across? The Levites, right? And so they were raised as the remnant of God. So because of their action, because of their stand for God, God put them in charge of the sanctuary. He put them in charge of the priesthood. He put them in charge of the music. He put them in charge of everything in the sanctuary because he knew that he could trust them, right? Now notice the parallel here. Are you ready for this? This is powerful. Truth restored was restored by God after the Dark Ages through the what? Through the Reformation, right? Then God's image was restored to the earth through the Great Awakening. In other words, people began to see that we needed the Bible. They began to see that God had love for them. Some of the great preachers of grace were during the 1800s, you know, John Wesley and some of these others, right? So God's character was restored. But notice what happens. As God began to restore his truth through the Reformation, Satan came along and he twisted that truth, did he not? He began to lead all these denominations astray. Are you with me? And they began to embrace spiritualism. They were on the right track, but then they got away. Why? Because the devil came in and he twisted it and he led them astray. But notice what, God ha what happens. God raises a remnant at the end 
to be faithful to him. And who was that? The Seventh-day Adventist Church. Can you see that parallel? Adventist Church is the answer to atheism. It is the answer to God's character being misrepresented in the last days. Um, am I out of time? I am. Can I take another two minutes? It's okay. All these, all these movements were happening about the same time the Adventist Church was being raised up. Atheism, spiritualism in 1844, Mormonism in 1844, Darwinism in 1844, Karl Marx and communism in 1844, Jehovah Witnesses in 1879. Can you, can, you, can you see how all these things were being risen to try to distract people's minds from the truth that God was really trying to restore upon the earth? Can you see that happening? Do you think that's by coincidence? Yes or no? Not at all. The era of these are... Uh, Movements have crept into Christianity today, corrupting them and turning them into Babylon. And the Adventist church is God's answer to that. And so let's look real briefly as we close how this affects the end time. We saw how it affects all the way up until this time. So God restores his truth through the Advent movement. God's character is revealed by his people when? In the last days, hopefully that we're going to do that. The people of God resist false movements and deception in the end, and ultimately they are sealed and prepared for the return of Christ, right? That's what happens with God's people. What about the rest? Satan's last day deception. Truth is rejected by the churches of Babylon. Truth is twisted by Satan and a massive counterfeit, just like he twisted it every time before. The wisdom of men is accepted over the truth of God. In other words, spiritual Israel, uh, Egypt, like we talked about, is repeated again, which ultimately leads to the final rejection of God. That will be ultimately atheism being exemplified throughout all the earth because the devil leads people to reject God's truth because it's misrepresented and mistaught. Isaiah 31, Woe to those who go down to Egypt for help, Rely on horses who trust in chariots because there are many and horsemen because they are very strong, but who do not look to the Holy One of Israel or seek the Lord. He, yet he is also wise and will bring disaster and will not call back his words, but will rise against the house of evildoers and against the help of those who work iniquity. All through the Bible, Egypt is represented as human reason, human philosophy, human power. And God says, don't look to Egypt. Why? The Egyptians are not men, I'm sorry, are men and are not God. And their horses are flesh and not spirit. When the Lord stretches his hand, both he who helps will fail and he who is helped will fall down. They will all perish together. The God's word stands as a great anvil through the test of time down to the ages. And God's word will stand firm in the last days against the movement of atheism as predicted in prophecy. And God's people ultimately will have a message not only for others who believe, but also for the atheists. Amen. Isn't it wonderful to be a part of a church that, that is the answer to modern atheism today? Isn't it, isn't it powerful to know that God is moving upon this earth in mighty ways and he has a message that reaches every human heart? even that those that, that want to reject him because mo mainly because they've been, he has been misrepresented to them 
by false believers. Aren't you thankful today that God has a plan for each of us, that God gives us direction and purpose, and what times we live in today to know, friends, that, that God is real, God is alive, and God is working even when the world gives its best efforts to refute and destroy His character, God's character will still shine through. And ultimately, it's going to shine through you, amen, as we represent Him in these last days. How many of you want to say, Lord, use me as the answer to the atheist argument today, amen? All right, let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you today that we are indeed the answer to the atheist. We are the answer that you want to give to the world. And we thank you, Lord, that we are a part of such a great movement that embraces your word, that embraces your truth. And Lord, as that truth is made real in our hearts and in our minds, we pray that it will be made real in those around us, in the lives of those around us. So use us, Father, and teach us and draw us nearer and nearer to you. As our prayer in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Lord, that we are a part of such a great movement that embraces your word, that embraces your truth. And Lord, as that truth is made real in our hearts and in our minds, we pray that it will be made real in those around us, in the lives of those around us. So use us, Father, and teach us and draw us nearer and nearer to you. As our prayer in Jesus' name, amen.